SST007. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. And we are here today to talk about Black Flag Damaged. Yes. That is a doozy. Couple of things real quick before we get into Damaged. I'm gonna eat some crow at the outset of this episode. So get ready for this, Brent. I don't want you to gloat too much. Okay. Remember the last episode we were talking about Saccharin Trust put out that album, The Great One Is Dead? Right. I ordered that from Water Under the Bridge Records, that label from Pedro. I mentioned that label a lot, and uh, I know I'm not getting any kickbacks, I promise, but they've got some cool stuff and people should check it out. Anyways, I was under the impression that that was like a 2017 release. It appears as though that is a re-release, as you said, of uh, a 2001 release. Just wanted to set the record straight on that, and you uh, are maintaining your status as like the Neil deGrasse Tyson of You Don't Know Moja. <laughs> Let's not get carried away. <laughs> so, anyways, <laughs> Black Flag Damaged. Um, we actually started talking a, a little bit about Henry Rollins in a previous episode, and you started mentioning a couple of things, and I completely agreed with you, like for uh, how good of an album like The End of Silence is, his Rollins band records, stuff like that. And we were talking about the later Black Flag albums, and we didn't really get into it too much. We wanna, wanted to kind of wait until Henry is officially on the scene and today's the day so let's talk about the band history lesson part one they'd been going for four years by this point hence the title of the compilation album the first four years that gathers up basically everything we've discussed so far uh, black flag wise a lot of that material came from failed attempts to make a full-length album we were talking about full-length albums like is punchline a full-length album is pagan icons a full-length album this is for sure a full-length album, and I would say probably, uh, obviously the first Black Flag full-length, but arguably the first full-length on SST. I would say that it is myself, but I guess uh, Pagan Icons and The Punchline are both classified as LPs, as in long players, so we could split hairs on that one, but who really cares? I don't have much hair left anyways. Yeah. Likewise, I'm probably going to be jumping around a bit while I do this because I actually tried to make a timeline of where Black Flag was at in 81 82 and i've read as you have ryan a zillion books about a zillion different bands and i can't think of another band that's had that rough of a ride and stayed together for a two-year period it's just insane what black flag went through in that time it's unbelievable that they stayed together much less released a debut album it's just mind-boggling to me yeah but it's good context because you know damage comes out like what year did it come out actually it came out in 1981 fall of 81 or sorry uh january of 82 sorry it was recorded in the fall of 81 yeah yeah i mean we'll get we'll get to the actual album in a moment but what you're talking about the band what they went through it's good context because damage comes out because there's all these issues legal legal issues but then like close on the heels is just a whole bunch of more black flag albums that are way different and it makes sense like because damage was recorded you know in 81 only could come out later and then uh right on its heels a bunch of other stuff that you know for me anyways it's kind of the later stuff is what i got into but when you go back to damaged it's very cool to get into it yeah i didn't make too many notes on the legal stuff i thought we'd cover that off more in the everything went black episode oh yeah good point but let's start off talking about how they acquired their fourth singer and i would argue their best singer i would agree 
really, in my opinion, the only a singer of Black Flag. I mean, he's the only guy that made a full-length album, or several full-length albums. He's the only guy who did any significant touring besides Dez. On guitar. And vocals. Dez, Dez did a fair amount of touring with on vocals as sure, well. Sure, but not, yeah, no, fair enough, but nothing near to what Henry did. Actually, when they get to D.C., where everybody knows that's where Henry Rollins grew up, Des was singing at that time. Before they got to D.C., Henry and a contingent of D.C. punks went up and saw them in New York at the Peppermint Lounge, hung out with them. I think that's the first time they met the band. And a few days after that, Black Flag is in D.C. playing at the 930 Club, so they hang out again. And in June of that year, they're already back out east playing Irving Plaza again in New York with the Bad Brains. And Henry goes up to see them, gets there early, and hangs out with Greg and Chuck most of the day. They played a second show later that night at a small club, and Henry jumps up on stage. I'm breezing through this. This is a fairly famous story. You can find this, I'm sure, on a Henry Rollins spoken word album. I've heard it before. It's for sure he talks about it in his famous book, Get in the Van. Maybe on his podcast, too. Henry and Heidi. Yeah, he has definitely recounted it a number of times, and it's it's really about how, I mean, it's you've heard it so many times, but every time you hear him tell it, you do kind of get the sense that he's really genuine about how he really lucked out. Oh, well, they were his favorite band. So, uh, during a second show that night in New York, Henry has to leave. He has to drive back to D.C. to open up the ice cream shop that he managed. So he jumps on stage and sings the song Clocked In, which he had learned from a demo tape the band had given him on the last tour with a bunch of songs that are going to end up being undamaged. A few days later, he's back in D.C. working at the uh, ice cream shop and the phone rings and it's Dez. And he's calling from New York and he asks if Henry wants to come up to New York and jam. So Henry doesn't really ask any questions. He just gets up to New York. They meet at a restaurant and Greg explains that Dez wants to move over to guitar. They want to audition Henry on vocals. He discusses all of this in, in Get in the Van, but I'm just going to read something right from the from the book. He says, We went to Mikasa rehearsal studios and set up. All of a sudden, I'm standing there in front of them with a mic in my hand. Greg asked me what song I wanted to play first. I thought I must be dreaming. For a second, I didn't think that I was there at all. I told him police story. It was as if I had flipped the switch on some kind of angry machine. The entire band kind of reared back and lurched forward, and I heard the classic Gin feedback, and all of a sudden, we were into the song. Crazy. So they go through the whole set twice. The whole band leaves the room, leaves Henry sitting in the rehearsal studio, comes back in, and they offer, or they ask him to join Black Flag. He goes back to D.C., packs up all his stuff, quits his job, and he meets them in Detroit a couple weeks later or a week later, tours all the way back to L.A. He's working with Mugger, doing uh, roadie work, and he's singing the encores. So that's how Henry Rollins comes in the band. Pretty amazing story that, you know, it's it's one of those punk stories that you hear so many times, but every time I hear it, it's kind of like, hair stands up a bit every time you hear it because you, you kind of, you're in your shoes, and I know what it's like to have a favorite band, and you kind of feel like, man, I would just love to play with them, and to relive it and hear someone who's, whose dream kind of came true, right? Pretty amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. So also around that time, lots was going on. They just released a single on Posh Boy with Dez on vocals. That's the Louie Louie Damaged One single. Oh, yeah. 
as far as I know, it's the only Black Flag release that came out on a label that wasn't SST, except for maybe a compilation here or there. There's a fair amount of overlap on those early Posh Boy releases with SST bands on some comps and stuff. And even uh, Pettibone did some artwork on some of those. And around that same time, Joe Carducci comes in. He came on board just as they were finishing Damaged. So they're back in LA. They did it, I think, over two sessions. I'm pretty sure they did all the instrumental tracks. And then Rollins comes in, does the vocals. Joe worked at a uh, record distribution company in San Francisco called Systematic. And he approached Greg Ginn at a Black Flag show in Chicago and offered to run SST. He ends up coming in and he's over starting to oversee sales, promotion, marketing. Basically, he's running SST while Greg's out on the road. And this is where the legal stuff starts. Seems like there was a bit of a dispute between Chuck, or sorry, Greg and Joe about uh, who should release damaged. Joe Carducci thought it should be on SST, that they would be able to handle the distribution. Greg wanted to go up a step with distribution, so they approached MCA Records, and as part of the deal with MCA, it was agreed that the album would get released on a label called Unicorn, which was a subsidiary of MCA. We'll hear a lot about Unicorn soon enough. Then what happens is they press up a bunch of the album, something like 25,000 copies, and the president of MCA says, nah, actually, I don't want to release this album. There's a pretty famous quote that he says about it being an anti-parent record. As a parent himself, he can't, in good conscience, be involved with releasing a Black Flag album. 25,000 sleeves printed up. The band just gets a bunch of stickers with that quote on them, goes straight to the pressing plant, and puts them over top of the MCA logo. They ship out all of those albums. And uh, it comes out in January of 82. December of 81, they head over to the UK to do a tour. They fly back right before Christmas, but Robo doesn't come with them. He gets held up at the airport. His visa doesn't allow him back into the US. He gets shipped back to Columbia. And so they fly Bill Stevenson out to meet them in New York, which is their first date when they get back into the States. And uh, he tours home with them. And Bill Stevenson, of course, from The Descendants. Yeah. Uh, as soon as they get back, they go back into the studio to cut a second version of TV Party. We'll talk about that, obviously, soon, because it's going to come out as a single. Yep. And the drummer on that session is Robo's replacement, Emil Johnson, who's only in the band a couple of months. He quits in the middle of another tour. They start right away, and that's when Chuck Biscuits comes into the band. Oh, baby. That's a drummer. Apparently, some maybe it was before the tour or when they were back from the tour, must have been when they were back at some point. Robo just shows up at SST and was like, hey, I'm back. <laughs> and <laughs> he like flew into Mexico and across the border illegally. Nobody wanted to tell him that they had replaced him. This is in, have you ever heard of this book? No Holds Barred. It's a book about black flag tattoos. Oh no, I don't have that book. I, I do have, you know, spray paint the walls, but I've, I've, I haven't bought that one because... I just didn't... Barred for life. Yeah. Is it like a whole book just of Black Flag tattoos, though? Uh, there's a bit more to it than that. There's interviews with Dez, Ron Reyes, Kira, Chuck Dukowski, Glenn Friedman, a few other people. I kind of thought after getting Henry's book and then spray paint the walls, that would be enough. But if there's additional stuff in the tattoo book, maybe it's worth checking out. It definitely is. And uh, also, of course, Our Band Could Be Your Life has a pretty decent chapter on Black Flag, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Say, so, hey, speaking of Robo, when does he drum for the Misfits relative to all that? Oh, yeah, well, that's, it's either, I think it's Dez is telling that story in this 
uh, in this book, Bard for Life, he says uh, they're just sitting around all uncomfortably and Henry goes, you know who needs a drummer? The misfits need a drummer. (laughs) And uh, that's all I know about that story. It's the only thing I've time I've ever read that um you know that Robo showed up at SST somehow he ends up in the Misfits and he ends up playing on Earth AD so he did all right I've read that story somewhere else too I wonder if it's not in uh, our band can be your life actually it might be in there I'll have to check that out again okay so anyways uh Emil leaves in the middle of the tour I think they must have met up with DOA I've read this story somewhere before maybe it was in Joe Keithley's book I, I bet you that's where I read it that's a good book that's a really good book awesome book he somewhere I've I've read he has a description of he basically says they did like a sports deal they wanted to get rid of Chuck anyways I think there was personality issues they had Dimwit lined up to play drums Chuck's brother they basically told Black Flag you can have him but you have to pay off his drum kit he owes us 600 bucks (laughs) (laughs) that's so Joey shithead yeah so Chuck's in the band for a while long enough to record a legendary demo called the 82 demos And the cool thing about that, or any bootlegs you hear from that tour, is they're playing songs that are going to end up on Slip It In, Loose Nut. Like, a lot of that stuff was already written. Yeah, exactly. We'll talk about more about the 82 demos probably on the My War episode. So, Chuck joins the band uh, right after the 82 demos. Greg basically fires him. If you've read Joey's book, you won't be surprised to learn that Chuck Biscuits was not down with the Black Flag practice schedule, which was like five to eight hours a day, which is insane. Chuck also did all right for himself. He ended up playing with Circle Jerks. Danzig played on at least the first two Danzig albums, maybe the third one, How the Gods Kill. I'm pretty sure he was on How the Gods Kill, and then he went on to Social Distortion. Yeah, I don't know what what he's doing now, but he's played on a bunch of pretty famous albums. Oh, absolutely. Probably, like, one of the most famous Canadian punk rock drummers. Oh, I would say so. Him and John Card. John Card was next on the tip of my tongue, for sure. Yeah. Anyways, they get into a bunch of legal trouble, basically with Unicorn Records, basically countersuing each other. We'll talk more about that in the Everything Went Black episode, because it kind of ties into that album as well. So that basically gets us into 1982. They toured for a lot of that year while dealing with the legal troubles as well. This is the tour they start growing their hair out, and Rollins is growing a beard, and everything's starting to slow down. And they're really starting to push back against hardcore assimilation. The stereotypical hardcore punk, like, you gotta wear this uniform, and Black Flag is like, we're one of the bands that started hardcore, and we're already, we're changing already. Which is crazy, because I consider Damaged, like, a defining album of hardcore. That and, you know, Out of Step by Minor Threat are, it's the blueprint. Hardcore 81. Hard And Hardcore 81, of course, by DOA. Those are the blueprints, so. For sure. It's crazy to me that they were again just like a lot of SST bands like Husker Du and the Meat Puppets they just evolved so fast that their fan base you know a lot of people just couldn't couldn't keep up with them yeah I mean I I remember reading about how you know so many SST bands when they're touring they're touring in support of an album that they just released but they are playing a set of music that's going to be on like their next two releases yep and no one no one does that now. No. No one. No, you couldn't. Bands don't even play songs off their new album, you know? They'll play one or two songs. Yeah, you got to play the stuff everyone knows. Yep. All right, let's talk about the album itself. Excellent. History Lesson, Part 2. To me, everybody talks about Side 1 and Side 2 of My War, which I'm a big sequencing guy. 
a lot of my favorite albums, I just, one of the things I love the most about them is the track sequencing. Me too. Yeah, for me, this is, this is one that doesn't get talked about enough for the track sequencing. When I listen to it, I think of side one as kind of the old stuff or the anthems, and side two for me is like, it points to the direction that, that Black Flag is going to go in. So, hey, I've only got the CD. Where does uh, Side 1 and Side 2 split? Where, what are the two songs? Uh, Depression's the first song on Side B. Okay, because I was going to say Depression is, like, I really like that song. And we'll talk th- about the other songs, too. I really like Depression. And I'm, I was just going to guess, like, that has got to be the beginning of Side 2. Yeah. Well, for me, Side 1, like I said, it's the anthems. I, I think I said in a previous podcast that we did that I don't like the song Rise Above that's not true i like the song it's just i don't think of black flag as like an anthem kind of a band and to me that's you know an anthem which is great for what it is but i don't think it's a fair representation for me of what i think of when i think of black flag right but there's one thing about rise above that is very cool very monumental and that is the feedback right off the front right yeah oh yeah that's good yeah the album has a great start with the drums and the the feedback the greg in feedback that that henry Ma- mentioned in his book right yeah i think the thing for me about side one is i really am not a fan of the song tv party you know what though neither am i i'm also not a big fan of six pack i think i mentioned in a previous podcast that for some reason whenever i was around people as a kid it kind of brought out the worst in them yeah <laughs> at parties i guess but this is the version of TV Party that I know, and I know it from a, a radio show back home that you know. Yeah. And, uh, like, it's kind of... Maybe that's why I hate that song so much. That show... <laughs> There's a radio show where Ryan and I are from that's used that as its theme song for probably close to 20 years or more. I remember listening to that FM station on my TV as a kid. We couldn't even pick it up in my neighborhood, and TV Party Tonight, that's where I heard... Um, that song for the first time through my TV when listening to that station at night. And we're, we're going to get to the other version of that on the single later on. The version on the single, I don't mind that version of TV Party. I don't know what it is. But I will say, though, uh, one thing I really like about TV Party and other songs on here, like Six Pack, the things that I like about those songs, I love Chuck Dukowski's bass sound. Love it. Yeah, Chuck's going to leave the band soon. We'll get to that probably in the next episode on black flag or is he is he out of here after damaged he's out of here after damaged oh you're right too okay yep he's got to make way for uh what greg ginn's uh fake bass yeah. player name yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, i can't remember it but uh, kira comes along soon thereafter yeah she's awesome she's my favorite black flag bassist okay so dale nixon I don't know. dale nixon dale nixon for me, I don't go back to side one of this too often. Side two is where it's at. It kind of points the direction the band's going, which is interesting because a lot of people, it's kind of, I think, hip or cool or to say that Henry Rollins ruined Black Flag, which is just bullshit. Like, he didn't write any of these songs. These were all written when he joined the band. Lots of people say, Henry ruined the band. I only like the band when, you know, Keith was singing or something like that. I couldn't agree with you more. Lyrically, for me especially, when I think of Black Flag, I think of anger, frustration, rage, self-loathing. That's side two of this album. It's just seething. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, that's one thing about Henry is, I mean, I got into the later Black Flag, first of all. I had heard stuff like Six Pack and TV Party, kind of, you know, the hits, I guess. But 
what got me into Black Flag, like listening to the albums in order, was the later stuff with Henry. And it was just perfect for myself and probably like a lot of other people out there when they heard that stuff for the first time. I had a big chip on my shoulder and didn't feel like I fit in. And Henry really spoke to me on those albums. Same. Let's talk about the cover art. Yeah, that's pretty iconic. Yep. Do you know anything about that? Was it how staged was that? Or was that like a real punch? Or I, do you know anything about that? They talk about it in one of the books. It was staged. It's, I think, ketchup or something on his hand. I can't remember what they put on his hand. But yeah, they broke the mirror ahead of time. If anybody hasn't seen the cover, it's Henry Rollins looking into the mirror. You see his face and his fist is punching the mirror and the mirror is cracked and his hands all covered in blood. Ketchup. Ketchup. (laughs) (laughs) Photographed by Ed Culver, who I'm pretty sure this is the album that got him all the work, because he ends up taking a zillion photos for album covers. Is that what yours says? My my CD version says cover photos Glennie Friedman. Weird. Your LP says who? Ed Culver. Yeah, for sure. My CD says cover photos Glennie Friedman, who of course is a very famous punk and skate photographer too, in his own right. Well, I know he was hanging around the band a lot at that time. He actually sings on TV Party. Glennie Friedman does. Okay. Well, that's weird. We'll have to look into that. Yeah. If anybody out there knows who actually took the cover, send us a tweet. Probably the best way to look with... I don't have the unicorn version of this album. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm sure it's out there. All the uh, the credits, I just don't have it handy. I'm going to check out the back cover of the unicorn one online, because that would be the actual... Mine's on SST. Like, mine came out. You know, mine's a reissue, basically. Yeah. Well, if you want to call it that. SST doesn't really do reissues, but... Well, my, mine's a first press of the CD. How the hell would I know? <laughs> okay, so, as usual, recorded by Spot. And a few other guys, though. Mine is saying uh, Spot, Francis Buckley, and Chuck Voigt, or Vocht. Yeah, I got both of those on mine, too. Do you know where it was recorded? Does not give credit on the album here. Well, it was likely at Media Art, but I wonder if this wasn't the first one they did at Total Access. Because that's another studio they're going to start using a lot pretty soon. Yeah. Are you Googling that? Yeah. Cover photos for the Unicorn version. Ed Culver. Yep. Is your cover in color? On CD? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, is the blood on Henry's hand in color? Yes. Yeah, see, mine's black and white. The only thing that's color is the band's logo and the word damaged. Well, the Unicorn version, at least that's online, it is in color as well. And it says, cover photo Ed Culver, but on my CD, I'll have to post uh, pictures of this. My CD is Glenn E. Friedman. Hold tight, I'm going to check something. Hold the line. All right, holding. We're going to go to the cassette. Which version of the cassette do you have, Fringe? No, SST. Is it cassette for the tiebreaker? Yeah. Hey, online here it says recorded at Unicorn Studios, Hollywood, California. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they were living at Unicorn Studios. Yeah. Rehearsing there, basically, I think using it like as SST offices. Yeah. I think when they came back from that tour, they'd been like evicted from wherever they were. Some office space. Yeah, I think that maybe had a little bit of the, to do with the decision of them to go with Unicorn in the first place. Oh, perhaps. The perks. Uh, the cassette says cover photo by Ed Culver. So, and it's in black and white. That is weird. Okay, well, you know where I could probably look into this too is uh, in the flex books. They go into ultra detail on all the different versions, but also now and then give a bit of a, an explanation. And uh, maybe this is when they put Glennie Friedman on my CD copy, maybe someone's rewriting history. Well, it would be odd if they were just both standing there in the same room with cameras. <laughs> well, it's the, it's, it's the same picture. 
Yeah. Uh, okay, well, stay tuned for the results. That's kind of cool. I never knew anything about that. Should we get to the ballot result? Absolutely. Ballot result. Brent, I feel like you feel pretty passionately about the tracks on this record, so why don't you why don't you run down the list for us? I will say, off the hop, for me, I feel like the ballot result has got to be Rise Above, but I'm going to leave it to you. I got to go with something offside, too. I think some of these songs we can get, you know, with other opportunities. Like, we've got Wasted Again coming, which I'm sure has Rise Above on it. I got to go with Damaged One for a few reasons. What? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. That's a pretty heavy-hitting song, but that's a really weird choice for the Ultimate SST compilation tape. So lay it on me. All I'll say is listen to Henry's vocal and tell me that it's not one of the best songs you've ever heard. His vocal is insane. It's just, I love the riffing on it. It's an amazing way to end an album. It's either that or I'd go with Room 13. Those songs for me are classic Black Flag. I love Room 13, but this is your... For me, it's about defining the band's sound. And Damaged One, like, it's just such a crazy song. They would do like 15-minute versions of that song when they played live. Yeah. And just totally assault the audience with it. Like, try and make people leave. Yeah. (laughs) You know? You know, I will say, like, Henry has really changed over time. You know, in Black Flag, the early stuff, he was just kind of trying to figure out how to fit in. And then in the later stuff, you see some of those interviews and even the early Rollins band stuff. Still the same guy, but gave off a bit of a macho vibe, too, I will say, for me anyway, which I totally understand how how that would turn people off turns me off a bit too i will admit now he's kind of turned into like a self-deprecating traveling musicologist and anthropological uh storyteller and uh photographer photographer yeah so like actor actor not the greatest actor but actor he's been in a lot of movies I know. You know what? There is that new one that came out where he plays some guy that can't be killed. I can't remember the name. I do want to see that. I want to see that eventually. But my point is that like when you're talking about Henry on Damaged One, it's interesting because that song is really hard to sit through for me. But I think it is like a very pure representation of Henry at that place in his life, you know? See, it's not hard for me to sit through. Even now, I could sit through it way easier when I was a kid than I could now. Yeah, for me, if I'm in a good mood, I want to listen to angry music. If I'm in a bad mood, I want to listen to even angrier music. So I'm always down for it. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Why aren't you a bowl of fun? (laughs) My first Black Flag album was My War. I remember where I was when I heard it. I remember what I felt like when I heard it. So to me, that sound, heavy, angry, that's Black Flag. Yep, I can't disagree with you. I'm still a little taken aback by Damaged One as uh, the ballot result pick, but I'm going to go with it, no problem. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of people that disagree with that, but for me, it's just such a killer track. Oh man, there's going to be so many people who disagree with both of us about Henry Rollins. Yeah. We're going to get trolled 15 ways from Sunday on that one. It could happen. Like I said, some of these other tracks, we're going to get a chance to to put them into the ballot result, I'm sure. Now, we did talk about depression, and I just want to give a, another quick plug for that song. And then going right into Room 13, that's why... I, when you started talking about Side 2, I didn't know you were going to talk about it that way, but I have it on disc. And, uh, I mean, I've had this disc for probably more than 20 years. I'm pretty sure I paid, like, more than $30 for it and saved up all of my my money for, like, half a month to buy it at that stage in my life. But I totally, like, 
the start of the album for me is depression in terms of like that is the part that really really hooks me and plus the first eight songs are over in a blink too and second side of the song uh album the songs are longer too like i said i'm big into sequencing and a lot of that comes from especially for me either owning stuff originally on cassette or lp so like i first owned this on cassette i still own it the, the cassette I bought, you know, like you said, 20 plus years ago. I remember just rewinding side two and listening to it again. Yeah, I used to love, because uh, what I would have done back then is, although I would get it on CD, I'd put it onto like one of those CD it cassettes or, you know, maybe like 110 cassette. Maybe I, if I was lucky, I could get, you know, three discs on a cassette and then I would have it in my Walkman at school or whatever. And it was one of those Walkmans that it would just, when it get to the end of the side, it would automatically, it it would just flip it over. And I would just put so many of these albums that will go through damage as one of them. It was on a tape. It would just be over and over and over until I needed new batteries, man. Yeah, it's a killer album. Okay, well, I think that wraps up Damaged. What are we doing next week, Ryan? Next week is very interesting for me. It's a band called Overkill, SST008. I have never, ever, ever heard Overkill that I can remember. So this is kind of the first release for me anyways, where I'm going to be kind of hearing something new for the first time, which is one of the main reasons I'm so pumped about this show, because like to hit something on SST8, well, maybe that's just because, you know, I've been living in a cave and I don't know what Overkill is, but there's going to be so many uh, records that we're going to listen to that I've never heard before. And this is the first of them. So let's get ready. Looking forward to it. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. 